Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. First Samuel 17 from verse number 32. So I'm going to read NLT from verse 32. The Bible says that don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me by any chance, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. <laughs> I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul consented. All right, go ahead, he said and may the Lord be with you. In Jesus' name. Verse number 38, Bible says that Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I am not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Let's keep going. Verse number 41, it gets better. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. That you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods, names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the heaven's armies. So good. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied today, this day. The Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and cut off your head. And then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Verse number 48, as Goliath moved closer to attack David, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they turned and ran. They turned 
and they fled. I have a lot of ground to cover today in a very short amount of time. So I will advise you to lean in to the word, go back to it later to write notes, because I'm going to say quite a bit in a very short amount of time. And because of that, I don't also have the benefit of being able to go back into the previous weeks to give us a detailed summary of what we've talked about in the first three weeks. But one part is important. And it's the fact that there were, I spoke about four categories of people. Do you remember this? I said that there is a first category of people when it comes to giant slain who never conceive in their hearts or perceive the intents of the spirit. So there is no concept of giant slain for those groups of people. All right. I did say to us that the second group of people are those who perceive in their hearts. All right. The counsel of God, but they never start. They never start. They never start. And I said the reason why those people never start is because they are unable to kill the first giant, which is the giant inside, the giant of the mind. I also said to us that the reasons why, one of the reasons why those people never start is because of the voices. We talked about this last week. We talked about the threatening voice. All right. We talked about the frightened voice. We talked about the concern, the angry voice. So the voices stops people from actually starting. And I said there's a third category of people, those who perceive, catch the intents of the spirit. They actually start, but they do not succeed in their giant slaying adventure. They somehow fail in the middle. And I said one of the reasons why is because they suffer a faith accident, because faith can fail. Remember that I said that faith can fail. I said another reason why is because while we start, most of us start focused on God's agenda like David was. Ultimately, a lot of people end up switching from God's agenda to selfish ambition and self takes over, which leads us to fail in that mission because God only pays for what he has ordered. And I said to us that the fourth group of people are those who perceive the intents of the spirit. They start and they succeed. They perceive, they catch it, they start and they actually go forward and succeed in their mission. So don't, don't forget that. Remember these four groups of people, but I want to jump into today's content and it's good from the beginning all the way through to the end. So just stay, stay with me. I believe my personal opinion. All right. I believe that the most strategic decision, because we've read the story of David and Goliath um, several times. Some of us have read it many times before, just in the past four weeks, including today, we've read it four times. All right different aspects of that story. When I scan through that story, when I, when I take, you know, a, a bit of attention to read through the details of that story, I believe, I believe firmly that the most strategic decision that David made in this entire story was the decision to not go to battle in Saul's armor. Say that again so that the people in South Africa can hear me. All right. <laughs> Hi. The most strategic decision that David made, the, the most strategic decision that David would have taken on this escapade was the decision he made to not proceed into battle wearing Saul's armor. Remember the story we just read? That when Saul finally gave up and said, okay, you can go, the Lord be with you. But Saul tried to dress David up in his own armor because guess what? Goliath was completely loaded from top to bottom. He had an armor bearer. He had an helmet. And the Bible describes all the, you know, the accessories and, and weapons and protective gear that Goliath had. He had shield. He had body armor. He had a javelin that weighed God knows how, how much. He had a big sword and all that. And he had an armor bearer. But David had nothing because he was not a soldier. 
He had nothing. So Saul, out of concern, trying to protect David from being killed, starts to dress him up, puts an helmet on his head and says, you know, you need to put on the armor, your coat of mail, gives him a sword and all that. And the Bible says that David tries to walk in them. He tests them out. But because he wasn't used to such things and he comes to a decision, he says, I cannot go in these because I am not used. I'm not used to them. He resisted the pressure to not be original. I feel strongly that one of the reasons why people fall into that third category that we talked about, people who start, all right, but end up suffering, you know, a defeat at the hands of the enemy, end up not killing the giant is because many people go in the armor of another. Many people actually proceed on their giant killing escapade, the giant slaying mission, wearing someone else's armor. And that is a problem. David knew enough to know that I don't need this armor. It looks good on the surface, on the, in the physical. Wow, that was a fantastic idea. How would you go to battle against Goliath without any kind of armor at all? But he understood from the spirit that I cannot go in the armor of another. If we were to segment, to, to do some kind of experiment some giant slaying experiment okay on that third category and we were to bucketize root cause why people start and don't succeed i believe that a ton of people are going to fall into this bucket of people who went in the armor of someone else but david was able to resist the pressure to go in the armor of saul it made sense from a common sense point of view, but he knew that that was a spiritual disaster. How do we do this? You know, let's make it practical. How do we use other people's armor? When you do something because somebody else has done it, you're using somebody else's armor. When you, when you, when you take decisions in your life because somebody else has done it and it worked for them. So it made sense, but you haven't consulted God on the issue and you try to duplicate what they have done. You're using somebody else's armor. When you go on the instruction given to somebody else. So let me give you an example. Someone, someone says, I want to share a testimony to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. This is, this is my, you know, my testimony is that I was, you know, looking for a job and I was looking for a job for three months, four months, five months, and, you know, nothing was happening. And all of a sudden the Lord asked me to sow a seed and I sowed a seed and I got a job within the next two weeks and the job was paying me half a million dollars. Praise and glory be to the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now you heard that testimony. That was Sister Cardi's testimony. Cardi, Sister Cardi's testimony. And you took that testimony and said, well, I'm looking for a job too. I've been looking for a job for about the same amount of time as Sister Cardi. So I'm going to sow a seed like Sister Cardi did so that I can get a job that pays me half a million dollars. And you sow a seed and you realize that you do not get a job that pays you half a million dollars. The reason why is because you're going in somebody else's armor. You're going on the instruction of another without understanding the foundation of it. God's principles of warfare are constant, but his methods are always changing. Remember that the principles of God are constant. They do not change, but his methods are always changing. They're dynamic. So there is no copy and paste with God when it comes to methods. You need to understand this. Or when you embark based on the testimony of another, over your personal revelation so you esteem the testimony of someone else over your personal revelation 
you are going in somebody else's armor. When you ignore your path with God for another path, you're going in somebody else's armor. When you copy other people's strategies, whatever worked for them without consulting God, I'm not saying you cannot borrow principles without consulting God, you are going in the armor of someone else. When you copy someone else's style, you're going in the armor of someone else. So be yourself, be original. David understood this. He's like, look, these things look good, but they just don't work for me. I mean, this is not me. I have never one armor before i'm not comfortable in it so how am i supposed to go before goliath with all this armor so we talked about you slain in your lane but you also have to understand that grace is available in your lane grace flows in your lane when you are an original when you're true to yourself when you're true to your relationship with god you have enough the Bible says in Psalms 144 verse 1, that's my first scripture today, Psalm 144 verse 1, the Bible says that blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Blessed be the Lord my rock. Why? Because he trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. So understand that by the time you show up and there's a giant in your path, in your way, whatever that giant is, and we talked about this you know, in detail the first week of the series, so you should go back and listen to that. Whatever that giant looks like for you, realize that God is not surprised. You're the one who's surprised, number one. Number two, realize that God has trained your hands for war and your fingers for battle. He's been doing it in subtle ways. You may not have known, but he would not let you get into a, you know, a situation to face a giant that you're not ready for. That's not the time to start borrowing armor. That's not the time to start saying, oh, can I have your helmet? Can I have your sword? No, 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 no. You go on the strength of your track record with God. You go on the strength. You draw from the well of your equity, all right, of your spiritual relationship, of the signature of your relationship with God. One of the reasons why God did not make us robots and not make us duplicates of one another is because God wants a personal a unique relationship with all his children. The signature of God on my life is different from the signature of God on your life. You need to know what the signature of God on your life is. And it is from that place, it is from the value, the equity of that track record with God that you can draw in times of adversity and come out victorious. You cannot borrow armor to go into battle. It's better to go into battle with a stone than to borrow armor. That's the moral of the story here that grace flows in your lane it's not the day of battle that you start learning how to use this word that's a bit too late now let me tell you this for example a power bike a motorbike any day any time is faster than a car however if you asked me to race a car and i am to drive a power bike because i don't know how to drive a motorbike it takes me might take me just 15 minutes just to get the motorbike started, just to figure out what do I do? How do I get this thing started? It might take me another 20 minutes to figure out how to even move the thing to begin with. Now, whereas the motorbike has the power to go faster than a car in the wrong hands, it becomes useless. And that's what happens when you take someone else's armor and put it on, you, you spend time trying to figure it out. And when you're trying to figure it out, guess what? You're losing the battle. God has trained your hands for battle. He has trained your fingers for war. He's not surprised by the, you know, the, the appearance of Goliath. He has prepared you for this moment. 
and this is the time to embrace your originality okay i sense very strongly that a lot of people actually never slay giants in their life and we, we talked about slaying giants as doing something significant with your life don't forget that okay not something big not about making a name for yourself making a name for god all right not about selfish ambition it's about furthering god's agenda and i have a feeling that many people never do any of these things right because they're wearing somebody else's armor they've lost themselves they don't know who you are everybody wants to be a social media influencer it might not be your lane i'm not saying it's not but it might not be and no shots fired okay so i'm just saying you everybody wants to be a youtube blog everybody just because your friend is doing something does not mean it's the right thing for you you need to really assess yourself am i borrowing someone else's armor am i being true to who i am at my core and the truth is this you know when you are and you know when you're not you know when you're not david says i cannot there was pressure on him put on this armor it's going to protect you he says, I can't go in this, not because of any other reason, but because I'm not used to this. This is not the time for experiments. I believe that Saul would have probably thought, you know what? This guy has been very careless. How can he possibly go against Goliath without armor? But guess what? It was, it wouldn't have been careless if he went in somebody else's armor. It is actually more reckless of you to try to go as someone else than to try to be yourself, no matter how inadequate you feel there is a place for your originality you have to be yourself i remember you know like just think about the people in the world who are making major difference in the world today these are people who embrace who they are to their core and most people see that and then we try to copy what those people are doing and that's that's the whole point all right bill gates my my good friend bill can never be michael jordan all right he can never be. I tell him that all the time. He can never be Michael Jordan. He stays in his lane. Everyone stays in their lane. And it is in your originality. It's in the track record of your relationship with God that you have the most potency and your safest. Your safest and your most potent when you're in the middle of your configuration. Please, please believe me. Please believe me when I tell you that your life of significance, the furtherance of God's agenda, all right, making a name for God will not come in someone else's armor. It would come in yours. Or if you have no armor, it would come with whatever it is that you have in that season. So what was the configuration of David? What did David have? What did David have? This, this, is, this, this, is, this, is, going, this is so good. David had experience with a sling and stone. Simple. And he had a shepherd's staff. And a shepherd's back that's all he had and he had enough spiritual understanding to know that this is more than enough and this is better than going in Saul's you know helmet and his body armor and his protective gear and his sword because I can't even move in that stuff as a matter of fact when you wear someone else's armor it becomes a disadvantage to you it, it, it actually hinders <laughs> your mission instead of helping your mission that's all he had familiar weapons a sling, stones, staff, and a shepherd's bag. Now that is foolish because you don't go against Goliath with a stone or stones, multiple, five stones, a sling, a staff in your hand, and shepherd's bag. I, I can just imagine, I can just picture this scene. The entire armies of Israel, and don't forget this wasn't a one-on-one -on -one battle. What was at stake here was the freedom of an entire nation. 
and the whole armies of Israel, I'm just using my, my, the powers of imagination now, that the whole armies of Israel were on one side, and the armies of the Philistines are on one side, and the armies of Israel just peep, look to the left, and they see this little boy walk forward to go meet Goliath, and they see that he has no armor. They're all decked out in armor, yet they're scared. The person in whom they have put their trust and their faith and their future and their destiny and their liberty and their freedom is a boy that has no armor, no helmet on his head, no sword on his hands, no protective gear, no armor bearer. He goes with a stone and a sling. If I was in that congregation, I would just start writing my will. We are all dead. Clearly, this guy, we are going to be slaves of the Philistines for sure because this makes no sense. It is foolish. But let me remind you of something that's extremely important. And it's this, that whatever you have is enough. I cannot say that and I cannot stress that enough. Whatever it is that you have is enough. Whatever it is that you have with God is enough. It is enough. It is enough. It may not look like much, but it's enough. It may look like five stones against a fully decked out Goliath, but it is enough. It may look like a rubber sling against a guy that's coming to you with a massive sword and a spear in his hand, but it's enough. It may look like nothing to you, but it's enough. I came to tell someone that what you have is enough. Because the reason why we cannot celebrate our, our originality and why we despise what we have is because we don't think it's enough. And this is, by the way, this is a spiritual problem. This is not a, 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 a psychological, you know, human problem. This is a spiritual problem. You know why it's a spiritual problem? Because God addresses this issue in the Ten Commandments. The, he says that thou shalt not covet. The root, the root of this is covetousness. Because we human beings have a flaw, a very simple flaw. It's the tendency we have, the leanings that we have um, to value what we don't have more than what we have. It's the tendency to desire what we don't have and despise what we have. That's covetousness. That's the root of covetousness. Right? And so it's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's a spiritual problem, not a psychological problem. It's not just, oh, this is how human beings are. No, no. It is a sin nature that makes us think in such a way that the things that we have in our hands are not enough and the things that other people have in their hands are enough. It is, it is, it is an attack of the enemy anytime that we start to fixate on what we don't have. We need to reel ourselves back in because we've lost perspective. It's a covetous spirit. That's the reason why our prayers of petition are always more than our prayers of thanksgiving. Because to our minds, the things that we want God to do for us, the things that we desire from God are a lot more than the things that we have to be grateful for. It is a covetous spirit. And so whenever we operate from a place of covetousness, we want to use what other people have. We want what other people have because we see value in it. To us, the grass is always appears to be greener on the other side. All right. Because of that, we despise what we have. We despise the things that God has put in us, the things that God has given us. So David could easily have said, what are these stones? And everyone could have probably said, you're going against him with stones. But David understood that what I have is enough. I wonder what's in your hands that you've ignored because you think you need more. 
And God sent me to tell you today that what you have is enough. It's enough. Focus on what you have because that, because there will always be things that you don't have. And so if you're looking to, you're waiting for you to have a little bit more and you know, God has given you an assignment. You're saying, I need a bit more experience. I need a bit more of that. If you're in the season that God has given you, trust me that God has brought you to a point where he believes that you have all that you need. The more you wait and say, I need to get more and get more. That's what happens after 12 years. You're still getting more and getting more, but you've never moved because you will always need more than you have. So let me give you, let, let's make this practical. Let's assume that David had his own armor. He had body armor, a helmet, coat of mail, had a sword, had a javelin like, like, like Goliath had every single thing that Goliath had. He still did not have enough. Guess what? Guess what? Because he wasn't as tall as Goliath. Number one, he didn't have the experience of Goliath. Number two, number three, he didn't have an armor bearer. So even with his best possible outing, if he took everything that Saul gave him, he still was insufficient to face the giant. You will never have all that is required, but what you have, as far as God is concerned, is enough. It's not even enough, it is more than enough. Guess why? Because, Eli I mean, David only used one stone. He had four left over. Whereas people would have said, you are dead, David. This makes no sense. I'm gonna call your dad and tell him that you are tripping, you're bugging out. He had four stones left over. He only used one one stone what you have is enough because when you focus on what you don't have you get paralyzed you do nothing because you would always have something else you would there would, there would always be one more piece of the puzzle that you don't have so david could have focused on the things he didn't have his youth his lack of experience Oh, I don't have an ammo bearer. This guy has an ammo bearer. Let me look for someone who's going to be my ammo bearer. Oh, I don't have a shield. I don't have a sword. I don't have a spear. I don't have body. I don't have ammo. Body ammo. I need all these things before I can go up. And God says, no, no, no. You don't need anything. Just celebrate your originality. Dig deep into the wells of your track record with me. Trust me and go with familiar weapons and you are going to be fine. So what is your stone? That's my question to you. What is your sling? What is your shepherd's staff? What are those gifts and those things that you have that you have despised because you don't think that they're enough? When you think about the fact that Joseph, now I know when we read the Bible, Joseph is like one of those folk heroes in the Bible. We all celebrate Joseph. Wow, great story and all that. But think about this. Put context to Joseph. The only thing that Joseph had was that he had the ability to dream and understand dreams. Now, it looks like a special gift because we've read his story. But I, there are many of us, tons of us listening to me right now who have the exact same gift that Joseph had. Yet you're still living in your apartment. You're not in the, you're not in the prime minister's um, office. You're not the deputy prime minister or anything like that. You haven't gone anywhere with your gift. Why? Because you despise that gift. You think it's nothing. That's all he had. He could dream and he could interpret dreams. Just think about that. That's it. How many of us can dream and interpret dreams amongst any number of other things that we can do? What you have is enough. We despise our gifts. We despise what's in our hands. But if you're going to slay a giant, it's going to be with what's in your hands. It's not going to be with what's borrowed. It's not going to be with, it's not going to be when you have everything. God is going to tell you, start now 
with what you have in your hand. You don't respect your stones. That's the problem. You need to have regard for the stones. I know they're just stones. I know they're smooth stones and they don't look like much and they look like they're nothing. But trust me that those stones can go a distance. Can I teach this? Can I, can I dig into this? And I need your two ears and all your heart and your entire spirit open to understand this. The reason why is simple. Why what you have in your hand, that though it's not enough, is still enough. It's simple. It's because once you obey God on a giant slaying mission, because we already said that this is God's agenda. So you're not just ambitious and you just go start something crazy and get into trouble because God only pays for what he orders. Don't forget that. God has ordered this. So you're going on God's, in God's, in, on God's instruction or God's leading in your heart or something like that. The moment you obey God, what happens is, is that God starts to wield the weapon, not you. Say that again so that those of you that are under the covers can wake up. The moment you obey God, those gifts, those assets in your hand, those things that you have, your stones, your sling, your shepherd's staff, your shepherd's bag, all the things that you have that you despise as being inadequate because Goliath looks so huge and you have nothing but these, these, these little things in my hand, God starts to wield those weapons, not you. And God is an expert at everything. God does not throw two stones. He only needs one. Ha, remember this. The Bible tells us that God, Jesus, feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And there are 12 baskets left over. That's what God does when he wields the weapon in, his, in, your, in your hands. Because what happens as soon as you obey God is God brings his hand. He grabs the weapon out of your hand and he starts to wield it. You think you're the one wielding the weapon. You think you're the one using that gift you have. But it's God all the way because you've obeyed him. And so you have his backing. And God is an expert at every single thing. He needs only one stone. You thought five, you thought that five stones was not sufficient. God says, you have more than enough. Five is enough for me because whatever I do, I use, I have leftovers. I can do far more than you can think or ask according to the power that is at work inside of you. Once you obey God, he starts to wield the weapons. He starts to wield your gifts because you have obeyed him. He is committed and he's an expert at everything. Let me show you this in the Bible. In the book of Exodus chapter 3, the Bible says God appears to Moses in a burning bush, all that. Moses had a, has a back and forth with God. God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh. Moses says, you're smoking something. I'm not going anywhere. And God says, you need to go. Moses has a back and forth, an argument with God. Eventually, eventually he succumbs and says, um, maybe, but he doesn't really give him, give his commitment. And you get to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says, God asks Moses a question. He says, what's that that you have in your hand? Pay attention. This is good. Moses says, it's a rod. Exodus 4 and verse 2, what's that you have in your hand? It's, God is not asking because he doesn't know what it is. God is calling Moses' attention to what is in his hands. Okay, Moses, all the, all the while they were having this back and forth, Moses forgot about the fact that he had something in his hands and God was calling his attention to say, what's in your hands? Moses says, it is a rod. And God says, fine. Now, do this with the rod. And through that process, God starts to show Moses the capacity and the inherent abilities embedded in that thing that he had in his hands that he thought was just a shepherd's rod. But the interesting thing is this, that further down in Exodus 4 verse number 20, the Bible says to us that Moses, 
takes his wife and paraphrasing now and his children he obeys god basically he Bible says he leaves for egypt now he's obeyed god he's going on this giant slaying mission and the bible says he takes what in his hands the rod of god so the rod of moses as soon as moses started to obey god became the rod of god in the hand of moses the rod of moses the moment he started to obey god became in his hands the rod of god that is exactly what happens when you give god the little that you have when god says go and you go you obey him understanding that he has sent you but what you have in your hands becomes what he has in his hands and whatever god has in his hands is not just enough it is more than enough and this rod goes to egypt and by the rod he swallows up the snakes and the serpents of, of pharaoh by the same rod that he's always had in his hands he brings about 10 plagues into the nation he parts the red sea he brings water from the rock by the same rod that had always been in his hand but guess what it's no longer the rod of moses it is the rod of god so my question to you what do you have in your hands you will never see the potential of what's in your hands until you obey god until you start until you press in until you lean in because once you do like i said god's hand comes grabs it from you and god starts to wield it and god help the enemy that god is going to wield a sword against he's an expert at everything that he does what is your rod what are your stones what is your sling is it your voice is that what God has given you that you've despised? Is it just the gift of administration? It can be anything. Is it that you have a nice personality? People just like you. You have so many friends. People just love you. That's a gift. That's something. You despise it. But guess what? Those are your stones. That's your sling. That's your rod. Are you good with your hands? Is it the gift of prayer that you have? Is it even your looks? God has given you good looks trust me anything that god has given you is it that you have the ability to talk you talk well you can communicate well whatever god has given you those are your stones they look like nothing but guess what in the right hands they become everything god is not only able to wield the gifts he has given you as a matter of fact god also can use your weakness because I believe that one of the reasons why David was able to hit Goliath in the head with a stone was because Goliath's defenses were down. He saw David, the weakness of David, and he let his guards down. And in that moment, he was shocked by God. As a matter of fact, people joke and say that Goliath died by surprise, not really by the impact of the stone, but he was surprised and that was what killed him. It's possible, all right? It's possible because he looked at David and said, you're so small, how can you come, come at me with sticks? Do you know who I am? I'm the, you know, da da da. And while he's there chatting, the Bible says David <laughs> rolls a stone and throws it at him and hits him in the forehead. God can wield your strengths and your weaknesses. I can tell you this firsthand, guys. This is the this is the story of my life. I live it daily. I live it weekly. I see God take the little, the insufficient that I have and wield it so powerfully, wield it in my career, in my place of work. And I'm like, this is not me. I don't know what's happening. This is God. And I know it's God. I know it's God because I know what I'm capable of. And I know that God is the one who is wielding the little that I have submitted to him. If you do not, if you despise 
what your stones are or your sticks or your rod or your sling, whatever it is, if you despise it, you give God nothing to work with. However, however, even though what you have is enough, it's only enough to start. It's not enough to finish. What you have is enough to start. It's not enough to finish. And we are sent to kill Goliath. So Goliath wasn't killed by the stone. When you read it very well, you understand that the stone knocked him down. And the Bible says that David gets a sword and kills him. It's the sword that kills him, not the stone. Ha! So what you have will get you far enough. It will get you to the point of being um, someone who causes a giant to faint. But that's not our mission. We're meant to be giant slayers. All right? We're not those guys who put people to sleep All right, when you're having a surgery, who render you unconscious. That's not our job. We're, we're not here to make giants faint or to make giants fall down and rise up. We are giant slayers. So it's not just the stone. We need the sword at the end of the day. All right. We're not here to induce a coma in giants. All right. Or to cause them to um, suffer some kind of syncope or vertigo or anything. No, 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 no. None of that stuff. We are here to slay giants. We're here to get total victory. We are here to carry out the full counsel of God. We're here to prosecute the mind of Jesus completely and to the fullest. But guess what? What you have in your hand today, the day or the season that God brings the vision into your heart is enough to start. However, it's not enough to give you resounding and total victory. Giants are to be slayed. A giant that you don't slay would plague you for the rest of your days. As the children of Israel, the people that they did not drive out of the land became a thorn in their side for generations to come because giants are meant to be slayed. However, what you have is enough to start, but what you have is not enough to finish. However, you will not get what you need to finish if you don't start. If you try to wait until you have everything you need, you will never start because you will never have everything you need. And even if you think you do, you would realize very quickly that that sword, if David had the sword at the beginning, it would have been a hindrance to him. It would have been um, an, an obstacle. He wouldn't have had the flexibility and the freedom to be able to you know, swirl around a sling and throw, and throw a stone. He wouldn't have had that flexibility. So there's some things that you need, but you will only get them along the journey. You will never get them before you start. God has designed it that way. All right. The more you trust God, the more he puts things in your path that you need to acquire to continue the journey. But you'll never be able to acquire those things at the beginning. The stone will knock down the giant, but you need the sword to gain complete victory over the giant in your life. So let me tell you what that means. As you go on, as you start, pay attention to what is needed. So Joseph started with just the ability to dream. But along the way, guess what he did? He acquired the gift of administration in Potiphar's house. Because if Joseph showed up before Pharaoh, only with the ability to interpret dreams, he would have come before Pharaoh from prison, interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh would have sent him right back to prison. Or, at best, made him a free man. He would never have stayed as prime minister. What he needed to be prime minister was a combination of the dream interpretation as well as the gift of administration, the wisdom of administration, which he acquired along the way. 
along the way. So what you start with is enough for you to start. But as you start, there are other things that God would help you to acquire along the way that would be necessary for you to finish well. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, some general things that you would definitely need to acquire along the way, you would need to acquire wisdom, more wisdom. You would need to acquire relationships. Oh, character. Guess what? Your skills can get you started, but it's your character that keeps you going. You would need your character along the way. But ultimately though, what you need at the end is the sword. It's the sword. There's some things, like I say, you would never learn unless you're in the middle. Just think about marriage, for example. No matter how much marriage counseling, pre-marital counseling you do, it's good to prepare you and it will prepare you for some, some aspects of marriage. But when you get in to marriage, you learn a lot of things that you need to keep your marriage. Um, you would never have learned those things from anyone. You learn it by experience. You learn it along the way. And that's what helps you to slay that giant of marriage. If you're married, I'm 100% sure you understand what I'm saying. If you're not married, I'm 100% sure that you will understand what I'm saying once you get married. You can never pre-learn everything you need to sustain your marriage. No, you will learn a lot of things on the job as well. All right. But you need the sword. And what is the sword? The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Woo. The sword of the Spirit that helps you to have permanent victory, complete victory, is the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So you need the Word. You need the constant revelation of the Word as you go through. That's what gives you permanent victory. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and verse 12 that the word of God is sharp and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce and divide asunder. It's, it's, it's the word of God that gives you victory because it's a weapon against the enemy. The word of God. And guess what? Guess what? It gets better because the word of God is a person. His name is Jesus. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things we had created by him. By him were all things made that were made. The Bible says, in him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. That's John chapter 1 from verse 1 to 5 and verse 14. The Bible says that the word became flesh, flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. So with your giant slaying activities, there has to be Christocentric cognizance, understanding that Jesus was that sword that gave David the final victory. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Word of God is a person who is Jesus. If you read the book of Revelations, chapter number 1 and verse 16, the Bible says that Jesus had a two-edged sword. That's the revelation of Jesus in the book of Revelation, had a two-edged sword in his mouth. He is the word of God. He's a person and he's the one that gives us permanent victory. He's the one through whom we have permanent victory at all times. So when we start, we can start on giftings and start on skill sets and start on things that God has put in us. But as we journey, we need to bring Jesus into the picture. We need to walk with him in constant and progressive revelation so that we can have total and complete victory in the name in the name of Jesus Christ as a matter of fact the Bible says that a wise person 
is a person who builds his life on the word of God. That's the only time that the storms of life can rage and beat against your life and your life would stand firm and your life will stand firm. Be an original. Do not go to battle in somebody else's armor. You are at your best when you're yourself. Dig deep into the wells of your track record with God. What you have in your hands, they're more than enough to start. More than enough. But they're not enough for you to finish. Along the line, you need to get the sword to kill and slay the giant. Hallelujah. I want to speak to one person, at least one person for the next one minute. If you can bow your heads with me wherever you are right this moment. I want you to understand something, people, that Jesus, Bible says, I stand at the door and knock and knock. You can't wield Jesus as a weapon if you've not accepted him into your life. If you've never yielded your life to him, you can't. It's not possible. You can't use him. The seven sons of Sceva tried to use Jesus and say, well, in the name of Jesus, whom Saul preaches. It's like, no, you don't have a relationship with me. No, no, I don't know you like that. We're not that cool. But he wants to. He wants to have a relationship with you. And listen to me. Right now, as I speak to you, the contrary voices in your mind telling you, well, no, you don't really need this. Your life's okay. But you know in your heart of hearts that Jesus has been knocking the door of your heart, calling you into deeper relationship, into a deep place with him. But you have never made a decision, a conscious decision, even though you might have been in church for years, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I encourage you today, take that bold step, silence the contrary voice and shame the devil and make a decision for Christ. Tell him, I need that sword in my life. I need you. I need you, Jesus. And wherever you are, if you're making that decision today, say these words and mean it from your heart, from your spirit. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for paying the price for my sins. I open the door of my heart to you today. I believe you died for me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. Give me grace from this day to live my life in a way that is pleasing and consistent with your expectations. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.